All right, we've been focused a lot on your child and your parenting, but today is all about you. We're gonna dive into positive thinking and why it doesn't work. So how many times have you been told about the power of positive thinking? You may have heard that positive thinking is the secret to your happiness, and you know you want more happiness in your life, particularly as a parent of an autistic child. Not saying your life isn't happy, but you do have a lot of stressors that naturally come into play. We know as a parent of an autistic child that you have a very large mental load, not only the responsibilities of parenting broadly, but usually there's additional responsibilities added on. And sometimes with that large mental load, we start to see happiness and joy decrease because we get in the mode of doing, and it can create a lot of stress. Now, as always, I say this, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. This doesn't mean you don't love your child. Just because you have stress and even saying like, I don't feel happy, that doesn't mean that you're somehow rejecting your life situations or that you're somehow by any means rejecting your autistic child, all of that they can co-occur together. You can absolutely love your child and accept everything about them and still want more, still want that happiness and that joy. They're not competing against each other. You can dislike the circumstances around autism, but that still doesn't mean that there is any resentment for your child. So again, those aren't mutually exclusive, and I think sometimes we forget that. We're gonna talk about why positive thinking doesn't work and why I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. And this is going to be like a scientific basis. This is not just my opinion. Literally, this is based on decades and decades of research. If you guys didn't know this, I am a clinical psychologist. And so talking about thoughts and feelings is absolutely well within my area of expertise. I've just decided to really focus on connecting with autistic children and their families, but have quite a large background on what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. So we're gonna touch on that. And then we're also gonna touch on if you want more happiness in your life as a parent of an autistic child, what you can can do to create more joy. So let's go ahead and dive in. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking about positive thinking. So let's start this episode off by talking about where did this idea of positive thinking come from? If you open any social media app, you're going to find all of these quotes. You're going to find all of these reels or TikToks telling you that positive thinking is like this magic fairy dust. And that's exactly how I think of it. I really think that the way that our culture has shifted, we've started to think of positive thinking like magic fairy dust. And just like the rest of our life, magic fairy dust doesn't exist. And so that maybe sounds like a little like womp womp but I wanna be real with you and talk about what is actually going to set you up for success. And I truly believe this idea of positive thinking 
could be sabotaging you. I have seen it time and time again, working with families. Generally, I think working in this field of psychology, as well as a coach, I've seen it, but even more so working with parents of autistic children, of wanting things to be a different way than they are. And that stops us from actually accepting and embracing our current reality and realizing that joy still lives in the current reality regardless of what your circumstances are. Now, as a parent of an autistic child, like I said at the beginning of this episode, you do have more demands on you, more likely than not. For example, let me just touch on these demands in case you're like, Taylor, I'm not buying it. How is this any different? Well, for example, you're having to add more time a lot of times onto your schedule where you're running your child to therapies, right? Maybe there's speech therapy, maybe there's OT, maybe they see a psychologist. Let's go to the developmental pediatrician. This person called and they need me to do this and that and this. And so it could be all these additional appointments that are added on. That's one way. And that likely affects your day to day. Now, if you're going, well, my child isn't in any therapy. Okay, let's talk about another way that you have a larger mental load. For example, your child has a meltdown in the middle of school and they're calling you and they're saying, what do we do? How do we handle this? And you're thinking on the spot, you're letting them know, or sometimes it's even like, listen, we've tried everything. Your child isn't recovering. I think you need to come get them. Well, then all of a sudden you're dropping everything. And you might be going, well, this doesn't happen that often. You're right, but you're always on guard that it might be happening. And I know this happens because again, working directly one-on-one with families, I hear these exact things, right? Maybe you have an IEP in place, an individualized education program plan that lays out all of this. And let's even talk about creating and getting an IEP like that took more of your bandwidth too. So I think you get my point that you do have more on your plate. And by having more on your plate, sometimes that can suck up the joy and sabotage the joy even more. But I want you to know something. Joy lives in the present moment. So often we get so stuck on this idea that joy lives in the future. I'll be happy when. If this happens, then I'll be happy, right? If I get through my to-do list, I'll finally feel less stress, which means by default, like you're saying, I'll feel more joy. Or I'll be happy when my child finally has an IEP, right? It's like, no, joy doesn't actually live in the future. It lives in the here and now. And so that's why we need to talk about how do you access the joy in the here and now? How do you find those moments? So positive thinking actually is something that is based off of what's called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And it's been completely hijacked. That is not what CBT says. So what CBT talks about is that as humans, we have what are called cognitive distortions. Now, some of us have more cognitive distortions than others, or some of us have cognitive distortions that we believe with a greater degree. And a lot of times when we start to really believe our cognitive distortions and that 
they're really frequent, more likely than not, they're having some impact on your life. And we often see that go hand in hand with things like anxiety and depression. Not always. You can have these cognitive distortions without having a clinical diagnosis, but as kind of the impact of these cognitive distortions increase, that's where a lot of times we start to see more challenges with mental health disorders. And so what CBT which is designed to target things like anxiety and depression, among many other things, it's a really, really broad therapy, would say is you need to identify these cognitive distortions and look for evidence that is either going to support them or is going to kind of contradict those cognitive distortions. So evidence for or against. And so you're collecting data of like, how likely is this cognitive distortion? How true is this cognitive distortion? And so an example of a cognitive distortion may be something like, I am never going to get caught up. That's an example. And you might be going, no, Taylor, that's a reality. And maybe there is some of it that like, yes, again, you have a huge mental load, but is that thought in and of itself serving you? Probably not. That thought more likely than not is sabotaging your current joy because you're always thinking about your to-do list. You're always thinking how you feel behind. You're always feeling not worthy enough or like you're not doing enough, which means guilt. And sometimes there's even shame in this. Like, does that mean I'm a bad mother or does that mean I'm a bad father? And so that cognitive distortion of I'm not doing enough might be a fleeting thought. At that point, like usually you might just naturally be able to be like, okay, nope, I'm going to focus on today. That's an example of cognitive restructuring that you're doing naturally. But what CBT does is if that thought is really pervasive, it's really, really stuck, then what it's doing is it's helping you to challenge that thought. Okay. I'm never going to get caught up. How can we start to look for evidence for and against that? Are you crossing things off your to-do list? Well, that is making progress. And so we might challenge it. Are you actually looking and defining progress in a way that is true and accurate and is going to be supportive? I'm not going to go into the whole kind of restructuring aspect of this. This is absolutely, if you work with a therapist, a CBT therapist is something that they're going to help support you on. But point is that where then this idea of positive thinking came about is taking a thought like that and what CBT would say and cognitive restructuring actually says is look for the evidence to and for and really start to challenge that thought in different ways. We might think about ways that that is a thinking trap. So that's an example of a thinking trap that's called catastrophization. You're catastrophizing your to-do list. And so learning to identify that and call out these cognitive distortions, what that helps us to do is to create more realistic thoughts. But what has happened in mainstream media, in social media world, and all of this is CBT, which y'all, people train for many years to be able to do CBT. It's not an easy thing to do or everyone would be doing it. Now, there are self-help books and all of that, but what's happened is it's become a watered-down version where you have this negative thought, which is your cognitive distortion, and it's like, oh, just replace it with a positive thought. And an example of a positive thought in this situation might be like, oh, I'll be all caught up by the end of the day. 
is that really accurate? Is that really realistic? Probably not, right? And then what happens is there is what we call dissonance, cognitive dissonance inside of you, where you might be saying the words, you might be doing the actions, but are you actually believing the quote unquote new thought? And so when we go to an extreme, when we go to the positive, and it might be something subtle like that, it also could be something like have a really hard situation where your child is being teased or bullied by peers at school, right? And the emotions are hard to process. They feel uncomfortable. You feel so heartbroken for your child all of this understandably so and for you to start coping with it maybe you support your child you get the processes and procedures in place you start to feel optimistic that there's a good action plan that it's less likely that this will happen but positive thinking as an example would be like okay i'm just gonna think this will never happen to my child again I wish I could tell you again, I wish I could throw that magic fairy dust and say this is never going to happen again. But the reality is we don't live in an accepting world. And a lot of times kids don't have the education. They don't understand. They're not learning about neurodiversity at home and all of that. So the likelihood that your child will never be teased or bullied again is a pretty low likelihood. And so maybe in the moment that positive thinking helps to comfort you, but it also then the next time it shows up, it's going to feel that much more shitty because you convinced yourself maybe that it would never happen again. Or you might just be like using positive thinking to suppress your emotions of like, I don't need to worry about this. This will never happen again, which doesn't give your real true raw emotions space to breathe and to be processed. And so what an example of realistic thinking here would say is I put the supports in place. So hopefully next time the teachers will know how to handle it. Maybe you modified the IEP so that it doesn't happen or you talked with the teacher or maybe it's like hey you offer to the school can i bring a guest in to talk about neurodiversity i actually had this wasn't on the autism side but i actually recently learned from a family i'm working with that the tourette's foundation will send advocates in and it's usually teens and adults that have tourette's and they'll educate the classroom on this so that's an aside, but you could be something like that where you're putting the structure and the systems in place that make it less likely to happen, but you're still giving the ability that to know that it's going to happen again. And okay, someone might be like listening to this or a dissenter might say, well, Taylor, why would you think about the worst case scenario, right? Of the child being teased or bullied again. Here's what I would say is that by using the power of positive thinking that is so preached, it's just a form of avoidance, right? It's a form of avoidance of reality. And I am not creating worst case scenario. I'm not saying like, if you believe in manifestation, I'm not saying you're putting it out there where it's like, my child will definitely get teased or bullied again. But being really realistic with our thoughts is what's going to give us the most space to process our feelings, which then in turn is going to help create more joy in those moments 
that you're not faced with a difficult situation. But if we just avoid this possibility, then when it pops up again, it's going to feel even worse because again, we've convinced ourselves it's not going to happen. And do I wish I had this magical fairy dust that I could make it so that your child is never teased or bullied again? Absolutely. Like it would be one of the first things I would go to. But I'm here to have real conversations with you and help you learn how to navigate this autism journey. And I would be doing a disservice if I didn't say that there's a possibility that this will happen again. And so by rooting down, it's not that you're you're wishing or manifesting or you know, creating the worst case outcome, what it's doing is being realistic so that it allows you to properly manage your emotions. What it all comes down to then is positive thinking has come from cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's totally misdone. And so we see this all the time on social media. It's like, don't worry, be happy. Like that one drives me nuts. Like, why can we not be a little worried? Now, are there times and places for worry? Can worry sabotage us? Yes, but worry is part of a more complex presentation of an emotion and of a feeling. Might be scrolling social media and you come across something, ask yourself, how much do I really believe this? If you feel like you're not believing that, that reframe, run. (laughs) I mean, that's a little severe and extreme, but it's not gonna serve you in the long run. My role as part of this podcast is to give you things that are actually going to serve you. And I think that clinging on to positive thinking could ultimately sabotage you in the long run because you're not living in reality and you're living in this fantasy world that nothing bad is going to happen, that everything's going to be positive. And that is not the human experience. There is not one human on this planet, even the person that fully does everything prescribed with positive thinking and manifestation, that person still has misery in their life. And it's not some silver bullet to start thinking positively. But when we learn that we can face situations that are difficult, we start to build acceptance around it. And acceptance in this way, I mean the psychological version of acceptance. You're not accepting it's okay that someone bullies your child, but you're accepting that this is the reality. And then it allows you to actually say, okay, if I can embrace that this really sucks and this is painful, then what can I do to support my child? Or what can I do to support myself in this process? And the other thing is then when it does pop up, you're more equipped to be able to handle that situation. And we're not gonna see as long lasting of an effect. Yes, it's still gonna sting. It, it's gonna sting every single time. And it's not gonna sting for as long because you've learned how to effectively process your emotions. And so when we give these negative things space, it allows them to breathe. It's like, come sit with me, come take a seat at the table. I don't like you, but you're welcome here because I know you exist versus pulling the covers over your head and pretending it doesn't exist. As adults, unfortunately, we don't get to do that. Children do, and that's the amazing part about their lives and there's so much innocence with it is they can truly pull a cover over their head and think the monsters don't exist. We know if we pull a cover over our head that the monsters do still exist. We're just kind of avoiding them and taking reprieve from them in the moment. So that is why I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. I believe in the power of realistic thinking. 
Hear that again. I don't believe in positive thinking. I believe in realistic thinking. Realistic thinking allows our emotions and our feelings to be part of the scenario. We're not automatically suppressing them. And we're also setting up realistic expectations. The thing with positive thinking is you want to be like, oh, I wish it could exist. And I do too. Again, magical fairy dust or a silver bullet. I wish that could be it. And I want to give you actual helpful strategies that are going to serve you, that aren't going to feel good in the moment like positive thinking does, but ultimately sabotage you. And the first one is creating realistic expectations and realistic thoughts. And that's kind of actually a two-parter. So what I'm going to say is the first one is creating these realistic thoughts, right? If you have a negative thought pop up, asking yourself, maybe you're literally saying, okay, what's the evidence for this? What's the evidence against this? An example of this is in your relationship, if you're in a relationship, if the thought is husband never helps, this is the one I hear most often, right? That's that's the potential cognitive distortion. And you might be like, no, 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 Taylor, he doesn't help. But A lot of times what that does when we have that negative thought, all we're able to do is filter out all of the examples where he isn't helping. And we're like, see, what realistic thinking would say is actually looking at the true picture. Maybe things that support him, like, hey, I asked him to unload the dishwasher and he didn't. Okay, that's an example. But is he like picking up after the kids or is he sitting down and spending quality time with your kids. Maybe it doesn't look like your to-do list looks like, but maybe there's ways that he is helping, that he isn't getting the credit for. That's an example of realistic thinking. So you might say, there are ways that he does help and I need more help. That is okay to say. It is okay to say you need more help. And in another episode, we definitely need to dive into how do you actually ask for help in a way that's gonna be effective? And also, how do you get over your own sabotagers that are getting in the way of asking you for help? That's a realistic thought versus a positive thought might be, my husband starts helping me without me having to ask. Gonna tell you, probably not gonna happen right? Because humans, like we want to feel like we're doing a good job at things. We want to feel like we're contributing. And there's a lot of things that come into play when you ask for help. I, I've talked about this example in a few personal conversations recently. I brought the dishwasher up. I don't know why, but in relationships, the dishwasher seems to be, most people have one way or another that they like doing it and they disagree. Well, if you ask your husband to load the dishwasher and then you're like, listen, you put the cups on the wrong shelf. They're supposed to go up here. Uh, It's gonna make it less likely he wants to do it again because you're not even supporting his attempt at it, right? You're expecting perfection right off the bat. And so when we get that negative feedback, it makes it less likely that it's gonna happen again in the future. And so this leads me to my second point, right? So we have realistic thoughts that my husband helps some and I still need more help versus my husband helps or reads my mind, like probably not gonna happen. And so then if you have that positive thought, then your expectation is that thing. And that is going to create more frustration and more resentment than actually having this realistic thoughts of, okay, he does help and I need more. How can I break that down? What can I do? Okay, where he is helping, I want to show him I'm noticing. 
that he's helping. And I need to ask more clearly, or we need to have a Sunday meeting where we sit down and delegate things. I know it's more nuanced than this. I'm going to talk about in a little bit, a group coaching program I'm launching, and this is absolutely the level of detail we will get into as part of coaching and having access to me and I'll walk you through it step by step and also create an episode on this in the future. But then the other piece of this is the reason we want realistic thoughts is when we have a thought, there's usually an expectation attached to it. And so this is the second tip that I have is learning to shift your expectations. Your expectations are probably one of the top sabotagers of happiness. It is one of the highest ways that your happiness is sabotaged because people aren't living up to your standard, but probably they don't even know you have that standard. Or it might be so unrealistic that even if they know you have it, they aren't able to keep up with it. And so learning to shift your expectations is something that can be really, really powerful. Again, an example, going back to the dishwasher is, okay, if he he attempts it, maybe I need to go in and redo a couple things, but I'm telling y'all that investment is going to be worth it in the long run. And you can slowly shape the behavior over time, just like when your child learns a new skill. And I'm sorry for, for dads out there, I don't mean to compare you to your children. Just generally, as humans, we learn by behavioral principles. If you go back to episode 10 on ABC's of behavior, we all function like that. And so just like we're skill building with our child, we also have to do the same level of skill building with adults as well. That's just, it's how human brains learn. Some of the expectation comes from wanting people to read your mind. It's not, that's not a helpful thing. Do I wish it could be true? Sure. And you might even go, but Taylor, I read people's minds all the time. Well, that's one of your gifts, right? But we can't hold everyone up to your standard and your level. And it's not a fair thing to be expecting out of people. And you might hate that I'm saying that right now, but that's the cold, hard truth. And I say it lovingly so that you can start to experience more joy. And expectations are going to sabotage your joy because if people aren't living up to your expectations, immediately it's going to be harder to notice the things that are going well. Number three, I also want you to do a check-in with yourself is ask yourself, do I really want to do that? I think especially with goals, for example, you're like, I want to take better care of myself in 2023. And you hear, okay, you need to start working out. Do you really want to do that? And you might be like, what? Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. Exactly. If you're doing it out of obligation, you're not going to last very long. Now, you can ask yourself, okay, getting healthy is important to me. How do I feel aligned with doing that? Absolutely. But what starts to happen is sometimes we have prescribed goals that we just adopt and take on where it's like, well, I'm supposed to work out for five days a week, an hour a day. Is that realistic for your life right now? If it's not, you're sabotaging yourself right there. And if you don't feel in alignment with it, it's going to be really hard to show up consistently. So actually taking the time to ask yourself, what do I truly want here? Is this realistic for my life? How can I start to adapt it so that I'm not just doing these goals because I think I I should or I have to, but I'm doing them because I actually want to be doing them. And a lot of times that means doing less so you can do really well at what you do. 
and not constantly trying to evolve in every single area. And again, you might be like, aren't we supposed to be focused on personal growth and development here? Yeah, we are. And I want to just like shake that up. That, that doesn't mean you have to do everything right now. It can happen in phases. So ask yourself, do you really want to do something? And then the last thing is, and this one is so often forgotten and I think so hard for people, is celebrating the small wins. What are those small victories that are happening on the day-to-day basis? At least noticing them, being like, oh, that was really cool. If you have a child who has minimal verbal production and you hear them say a word, are you actually slowing down enough and being like, wow, we have worked so hard to support this. Or maybe they use their AAC device or they make a sign. You put so much energy and effort into supporting their development in that way. Are you actually celebrating that? I think a lot of times it's like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Let's go deeper than that, right? Because joy lives in these small wins, in these day-to-day moments. And sometimes going back to expectations, it's like, oh, well, I'll be really excited when he has 10 words, or I'll be really excited when she uses her AAC device fluently. It's like, are you gonna be happy there? Probably not, because you're gonna kick the can down the road and set the new goal. And so how can we be happy in that moment that they've consistently learned to press the help button on their AAC device? That 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 is making progress. And these small wins are what get to the end result. But if we attach our happiness only to the end result, one, life is gonna feel more miserable than it has to. And two, you're never going to actually reach that joyful feeling. Maybe, and you might be like, but when they reach that, it is really joyful. I have it. But it's not the same level of fulfillment. Joy is a practice that we need to be doing every single day. And this also comes back to why I don't believe in the power of positive thinking is because it's not our thoughts that create the joy. It simply is our ability to be in the moment to experience things. Joy exists in the present moment. It's whether you choose to take it on or not. And so your thinking, yes, contributes to your feelings. We know this also from CBT. Thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are highly, highly interconnected. But I'm telling you, it's not a causal relationship that if you think this positive thought that all of a sudden you're gonna feel more joyful. And I think that's what makes positive thinking feel so attractive is people think, that it's going to bring them more joy in their life. But what we often find is it actually does exactly the opposite. So I gave you some some takeaways, some ways that you can start to create this joy and also let go of positive thinking in the process. But say you're like, Taylor, this sounds wonderful. I love this and I'm trying, I'm struggling though, right? I really need support in this area. This is where working with someone who has expertise in this area can be really helpful. And so this might look like finding a therapist, a CBT-based therapist, or another great therapy that would be in line with what I'm talking about today is called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. So that could be one option. But one of the challenges that I often find when I was working only on the child side is parents would say, 
I have my own therapist, but my therapist doesn't understand autism. And this is then where I was like, wait a minute, there's such a need to support the whole family unit. And I understand autism, both from a professional side and a personal side. And we need to be better supporting families. And this is where I developed the whole family approach. And I'm so, so excited to be announcing that I am launching group coaching. I will put a link that if you're like, after I tell you about this, you're like, I need this level of support. Like you can go, you can sign up and we will get started. So what group coaching involves is it's six months with me. I love being able to provide value in this way. Like the podcast has become one of my favorite things to do. I look forward to recording podcast episodes every week and I love being able to give this free value. But what the podcast doesn't allow me to do is really help to tailor it to you, help you problem solve, help you navigate, help you figure out what strategies work for you and what strategies don't. And so you would get me as part of group coaching for six months. You're also going to get a community of like-minded autism parents where we are all in this together. And the reason I love a group coaching model is because other parents are going to ask their questions. They're going to get support. And I promise you, you are going to learn from them. They might be saying things that you didn't even realize that you were navigating yourself. Or they might be a little further ahead of you in the journey where you're like, okay, I need to remember this once I hit this stage. Or you might be further ahead of them in the journey and you can then reflect back and be like, wow, we have really progressed. I think having this community really like ups the level of support you're going to get. So six months with me, it's gonna include weekly calls where you can pick my brain. Keeping in mind, this isn't therapy. So meaning I'm not making clinical diagnoses. We're not doing any sort of like safety assessments, that type of thing. But what we can do is we can focus on your thoughts and feelings and really supporting you. And we can also talk about your child in the process. You're like, my child is really struggling with this. I might be like, here are some great resources, like having a one-stop shop to do it all. And then you'll have a community for ongoing support in between sessions where you can connect with the, the other parents, you can ask questions, all of that. So you get pretty unlimited access to me and being able to fully support your family. So. This is a safe space for you to get support as a parent of an autistic child. I will say, because this isn't a clinical service, your child actually doesn't have to have an autism diagnosis. So say you're like in the process of going through the evaluation process, or maybe your child is diagnosed as autistic at school, but doesn't have like a medical diagnosis, all of that is totally fine. Even if your child doesn't have autism, but you feel like you're you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, but I struggle with a lot of the same things and my child struggles with a lot of the same things. You are welcome. Just know it's going to be focused and talking a lot about autism. So let me tell you just real quick, as part of this, you're going to get a really, really in-depth video-based curriculum, short videos that you can digest and really learn. So things that we're going to talk about is 
is we're going to do a deep dive into effective emotional processing. You're going to learn how to identify your sabotaging thoughts and shift them to thoughts that serve you. A little bit of what I talked about today to those more realistic thoughts. We're going to focus on your connection with people. And this includes your partner and your, your other children, as well as learning how to notice and really connect with your autistic child. Maybe your autistic child is trying to communicate with you and you're just not picking up on that because it's, it's not what you're expecting. So learning to shift expectations. Also learning how to dream again and release those expectations in the process. Learning how to more effectively time manage and balance your responsibility. Creating structure so there's space for you. Finding joy in your journey. Building up your self-esteem and confidence and learning how to trust your gut. Knowing that you are the expert of your child and really learning how to advocate. I talk about that a lot of times, but you might be like, great, but how do I actually do that? That's what we'd go into. Learning about autism and neurodiversity and learning how to effectively identify your child's needs and support them and so much more. This is what is covered in group coaching. And listen, this is based on my decade of experience of working with families, learning from families of autistic children, as well as my experience growing up, seeing what my family would have needed support with, seeing what I would have needed support with as a sibling of an autistic child and learning how to navigate that. And so, yeah, I'm just so incredibly pumped. So I wanted to share that with y'all in case you, you feel like, okay, I'm getting value out of this podcast and I'm I'm struggling. This is a space for you to ask questions, to seek support, and just have that safe community in order to be able to process. Overall, you really get a lot of access to me. And I believe that I am uniquely positioned to offer something like this is not only do I have that clinical background of autism and am able to really like share to what the research says and lots of resources and support in terms of the child side, I'm also able to support your growth and well-being and your emotions and your thoughts as a parent navigating this and also help you to support your partner and your other children in the family and maybe grandparents. Like, the whole community. You tend to be the center of it and helping everyone else. You deserve someone that is going to do that for you. And that is exactly why I created this and so excited to be able to launch this. If you have questions about this, you also can message me on any of my social media platforms, which are linked in the show notes. Just let me know that you're messaging about group coaching. All right, at the core, I hope you took from this episode that positive thinking really isn't all that it's cracked up to be, and it really isn't serving you in your life. And instead, doing things like having more realistic thoughts, shifting your expectations, asking yourself if you really want to do something, making sure you're calibrating with your actions and your goals, and celebrating those small wins, that's how you can create more joy in your everyday life. It's not about how you think that's gonna create that. The positive thinking isn't gonna create immediate joy. Instead, we want to root ourselves more in the present and more in the realistic. And by doing that, you're going to start to notice that joy is all around you. All right, y'all. That is a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week, I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. 
You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.